This is section 103 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 103, Alta, California, November 22, 1868. Letter from Mark Twain, Special Correspondence of the Alta, California. Some Personal Explanations, A Connecticut Legend, A Revolutionary Newspaper Relic, Curious Souvenirs of Old Times, Concerning McGrorty. Who is McGrorty? Hartford, October 28, 1868. E pluribus unum. I have a boil on one side of my nose and a cold on the other, and whether I sneeze or blow, it is all one. I get the lockjaw, anyhow. I never fully comprehended before how inscrutable are the ways of Providence for my feeble finite wisdom is utterly stumped with the simple problem of what great and good end is to be accomplished by the conferring of this boil and this cold on me both at the same time but providence understands it easy enough the ways of providence are too inscrutable for the subscriber i have not been working very hard but I have got this book of mine ready for the engravers and electrotypers at last, though it will not be issued from the publishing-house till March. Not knowing what else to name it, I have called it The New Pilgrim's Progress. I am told that Bancroft is to be the agent for it on the Pacific Coast and in China. This reminds me that I see by the papers that I am going to China in the spring. I was not quite certain of it before, but I am now, I suppose. I start out lecturing the 15th of November, and, as my engagements extend far into March, I shall have ample time to think it all over. I have seen a New England forest in October, and so I suppose I have looked upon almost the fairest vision the earth affords. The first trees to change were the maples, which doffed their robes of green, and took to themselves a brilliant bloody red and shortly the long walls of shining emerald that bordered the roads were splendid with these random bursts of flame a distant prospect gave to a forest the resemblance of a garment splotched with blood the chestnuts changed next but more slowly and day after day their rich green panoply fainted away and dissolved into a soft sunset blending of dainty tints of gold and purple touched with a crimson blush here and there, and finally, some frosty morning, came out in the imperial yellow of China, and stood ready, with the mistaken wisdom of trees the world over, to undress for winter. A great forest, mottled from end to end with these changing splendors, these opaline minglings of exquisite dyes, subdued and softened by distance, seems etherealized, stripped of the grossness of earth, and suffused with the tender grace of pictures we see in dreams. Indigent Nomenclature Legend Don't direct any more letters to me at Hartford until I find out which Hartford I live in. They mix such things here in New England. I think I am in Hartford proper, but no man may hope to be certain, because right here in one nest we have Hartford and Old Hartford and New Hartford, and West Hartford, and East Hartford, and Hartford on the Hill, and Hartford around generally. 
it is the strangest thing this paucity of names in yankee land you find that it is not a matter confined to hartford but is a distemper that afflicts all new england they get a name that suits them and then hitch distinguished handles to it and hang them on all the villages round about it reminds me of the man who said that adam went on naming his descendants until he ran out of names and then said gravely let the rest be called smith down there at new haven they have old haven west haven south haven west by sou'west haven and east by east nor'east half east haven and the oldest man in the world can't tell which one of them yale college is in the boys in new england are smart but after they have learned everything else they have to devote a couple of years to the geography of new haven before they can enter college and then half of them can't do it till they go to sea voyage and learn how to box the compass that is why there are so many more new england sailors than any other some of them spend their whole lives in the whaling service trying to fit themselves for college this class of people have colonized the city of new bedford massachusetts it is well known that nine-tenths of the old salts there became old salts just in this way their lives a failure they have lived in vain they have never been able to get the hang of the new haven geography in this connection they tell a story of a stranger who was coming up the connecticut river and was trying his best to sleep but every now and then the boat would stop and a man would thrust his head into the room first he sung out haddam and then east haddam and then haddam neck and then north haddam and then great haddam little haddam old haddam new haddam irish haddam dutch haddam 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 and then the stranger jumped out of bed all excited and says i'm a methodist preacher full of grace and forty years in service without guile i'm a meek and lowly christian but damn these haddams i wish the devil had em i say a relic the gentlemen of the current have given me a facsimile copy of the first issue of that paper it is about twice as large as a sheet of foolscap and bears the date october twenty ninth seventeen sixty four something over a hundred years ago in its columns under date of boston october eighth for it will be remembered that news travelled slowly in those days i find broad hints of the dissatisfaction among the colonists which was within the next ten or eleven years to breed the american revolution read there seems to be a disposition in many of the inhabitants of this and the neighboring governments to clothe themselves with their own manufacture british taxation without representation was worrying them again it is now out of fashion to put on mourning at the funeral of the nearest relation which will make a saving to this town of twenty thousand sterling per annum it is surprising how suddenly as well as how generally an old custom is abolished it shows however the good sense of the town for it is certainly prudent to retrench our extravagant expenses while we have something left to subsist ourselves rather than be driven to it by fatal necessity we hear that the laudable practice of frugality is now introducing itself in all the neighboring towns 
an instance of which we have from charlestown at a funeral there the beginning of last week which the relatives and others attended without any other mourning than which is prescribed in a recent agreement indeed we are told that all the funerals of last week were conducted on the new plan of frugality nothing but frugality can now save distressed northern colonies from impending ruin it ought to be a consolation to the good people of a certain province that the greatest man in it exhibits the most rigid example of this political as well as moral virtue who could he have been has his greatness totally passed from history and the memories of men war is boldly hinted at in this paragraph it is now confidently affirmed by some that the severity of a new a t of pat is to be imputed to letters representations narratives etc transmitted to the m m e about two years ago by persons of eminence this side of the water and that some copies of letters are actually in this town and others soon expected to whatever cause these severities are owing it behooves the colonies to represent their grievances in the strongest point of light and to unite in such measures as will be effectual to obtain redress cannot you fancy the ancient editor of the connecticut current of a hundred years ago in round benjamin franklin spectacles wig and queue lace cuffs coat pocket flaps like a cellar door long waistcoat knee breeches stockings low quarter shoes with buckles on them like a window sash a man gravely culling news from boston three weeks old and her latest advices about colonel bouquet's forces having crossed the river at pittsburgh full thirty days gone by and thrilling rumors of war from madrid london versailles stockholm and the hague with the mildews of four awful months on them and venerable canards uh, one hundred days out from naples telling how between three and four hundred thousand citizens had lately died of plague in that little kingdom a man exulting over his little old sensation dispatches and latest dates and never strangely enough never having a vision of eighteen sixty eight flash through his complacent brain with its revelations of telegraphs and locomotives i say can't you fancy this old muff sitting at his desk and getting off this bit of sarcasm and holding it up and cocking his eye at it and reading it over and chuckling to himself and reading it again and calling in the devil and inflicting it on him and then sending it to the printers perfectly satisfied that it is the best and the boldest and the awfulest crusher that ever thundered from the press can't you thus we hear that if any persons can tell of any valuable reversions in the gift of the crown undisposed of they may have a good premium for such intelligence as there are some few of the children of the gentlemen now in power still unprovided for then the rusty old flintlock gossips pleasantly about the servant of an irish merchant having been successfully palming himself off on the parisians as the prince of angola lately about a year before no doubt and in stunning sensation italics 
he puts in the sheriff's proclamation commanding the contumacious john wilkes esq to appear before the lord the king of westminster to answer for certain trespasses contempts and misdemeanors whereof he has been convicted and then in smaller type exults in the fact that that old-time head centre is safe in france and will not be likely to honor the lord the king's pleasant invitation in default of a better mining excitement he tells of a piece of ore containing divers particles of silver which has been found in florida and sent to england for assay and probably much illuminated wildcat stock changed hands there on the strength of it and he asserts that the late report of the french having ceded new orleans to the spaniards is without foundation but he always comes back to his pet hobby sooner or later hints of war with the mother country hear him the northern colonists have sense enough at least the sense of feeling and can tell where the shoe pinches the delicate ladies begin to find by experience that the shoes made at lynn are much easier than those of the make of mr hose of london what has become of the noted shoemaker of essex yes what is become of him and what is become of both of you since you are so brash about it it is an even bet that where you are now you don't toot your horn any louder than the noted shoemaker of essex does but i will let him give it one more blast before i tumble him back into his dusty grave to sleep another century it is feared by many who wish well to great britain that the new eight of pete will greatly distress if not totally ruin some of her own manufacturers it is the thought that by means of this eight less of her woolen clothes to the amount of some thousand sterling will be purchased in this cold climate the ensuing winter he is a good deal worried for fear great britain will damage her prosperity if one lets him tell it i will publish his joke now and then boost him back among the damned where he belongs i will print this joke in simplified justice to him that people may see who originated it and so give him the credit due unless he stole it himself from some still more ancient periodical for to this day it keeps turning up every now and then in the country newspapers with an aggravating pretense of being new and original a surprising concatenation of events to one man in one week published a sunday married a monday had a child a tuesday stole a horse a wednesday banished a thursday died a friday buried a saturday all in one week there you are in our day since we know nothing of banishment which he did and since we do know something of divorcement which he didn't we substitute the one for the other naturally enough when we steal the joke i will now let this old buffer go i don't wish to be too hard on him lest i meet his musty ghost prowling about his ancient haunts in hartford here some night where be his comrades whither went he to take his ale who was he anyhow where is mcgrorty but perhaps you don't know mcgrorty mcgrorty was a great man once but that was some time ago 
It was when he ran for a delegate from Utah against Mr. Hooper. Somebody told him to buy a barrel of whiskey and run against Hooper, and told him whiskey was as good as talent, as long as he could get the one and hadn't the other. And McGrorty did it. He ran against Hooper, treated the saints and the Gentiles. He made the best fight he could, and didn't win. He came near it, though. He got a hundred and five votes, and Hooper himself only got fifteen thousand six hundred and eight. There was really only a difference of fourteen thousand and some odd. A negro by the name of Sy got the rest of the votes, six. Hooker was declared elected, and McCrorty was advised to contest the election, which he did, but he failed to give notice of his reasons within thirty days, as provided by a congressional law and that made his contest null and void properly still when a man comes near being great comes as near it as mcgrorty did comes within fourteen or fifteen thousand of it it isn't in human nature to give it up and so mcgee infested washington all last winter trying to get his dispute before the house of representatives but it wasn't any use congress was a conniver at all manner of inhumanity and was only glad of a chance to keep this light out now that it was put out. Congress said, Send along the negro. Let Sy have a show. Out with this Milesian Gentile. This after he had got his speech all ready for the floor of the House. It was particularly mean of Congress to do such a thing at such a time, because the speech had to be inflicted on somebody, and so that McGrorty went around Washington all last winter reading it, to everybody he could catch in a close place. People were driven crazy by it. People shot each other on account of it. Thousands and thousands of suicides resulted from it. McGrorty ended by going crazy himself, I heard, though many said he was crazy enough in the first place to make a good member of Congress. But they didn't take him in. That is what I am quarreling about. They left his light to shine under a bushel never saw a bushel in such a shape that a light could shine under it, but suppose it possible, nevertheless. They left his light to shine that way, merely because he didn't have fifteen thousand votes instead of Hooper. That sort of mean partiality is a thing that I despise. And so McCrorty was lost to the nation. What makes me inquire about him now, however, is that a rumor has reached me from a friend in Washington that Mr. McGrorty is going to run on the Democratic ticket for Congress in California, and I thought if I could help him to a vote or two in memory of that speech of his, it would be as little as one of the few survivors of it could do. I feel grateful, and so long as he is running for anything anywhere, I am ready to help him along and whenever he has got a fresh speech and is reading it, I will wade right through the midst of his dead and dying to hear it. Count on me, McGrorty. Mark Twain End of section 103